audience, welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Lane Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. I recently attended the International Academy of Sex Research Conference, which is one of the largest annual gatherings of sex researchers in the world. At this conference, I gave a presentation on the prevalence of sexual difficulties during the pandemic. I presented results from a nationally representative sample of 2,000 American adults aged 18 to 45. I found that sexual difficulties were really common and actually seemed to increase during the pandemic, with 53% of adults reporting at least one sexual difficulty. There's a lot in this data worth discussing, so it'll take me a few episodes to fully unpack it for you, but what I'd like to focus on today are sexual difficulties reported by men. Men reported a wide range of difficulties, with lack of sexual interest and sexual desire discrepancies being the most common during this time, but also right up there were erectile problems. In fact, more than 1 in 10 men said this was something they'd experienced in the last year, and this was a young sample. The oldest participant was 45 years old. This got me curious about whether there was any other evidence that erectile problems might have increased recently, and I found a study showing a huge surge in Viagra prescriptions during the pandemic. So that's pretty compelling evidence that erectile problems seem to be on the rise. Pun intended. So today's episode is going to be all about erections. We're going to discuss how to know whether you have erectile dysfunction, potential causes and treatments of ED, as well as whether there's anything you can do to prevent it. I am joined by Dr. Amy Perlman. She is a men's sexual health specialist and board-certified urologist specializing in genitourinary reconstruction. Dr. Perlman's primary mission is to educate men on the basics of their bodies and to encourage healthy behaviors in order to optimize performance in and out of the bedroom. I can't wait for this conversation. So stick around and we're going to jump in right after the break. Enhance your sexual performance with FirmTech. Check out their tech ring, which is designed to give you harder, longer-lasting erections while also tracking your erectile fitness. Wear it at night to monitor nocturnal erections and cardiovascular health, or wear it during lovemaking for a boost in the bedroom. Unlike other erection rings, FirmTex is easy to put on, adjustable to your comfort, and it can go on whether you're hard or soft. To learn more, check the show notes or visit myfirmtech.com and be sure to use my exclusive discount code, JUSTIN20, to save 20% off your purchase. Again, that's myfirmtech.com. Applications are now open for a new continuing medical education course from the Kinsey Institute at Indiana University. The course is titled Gender, Sexuality, and Medicine, an Introduction to LGBTQ Plus Competent Care, and it will be held this fall. Both online and in-person attendance options are available. This course is intended for health professionals, and it offers continuing education credits. Please visit kinseyinstitute.org for more information and to register. Hi, Amy, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am looking forward to today's podcast. Well, thank you so much for joining me. So I'd like to begin our conversation by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this line of work. What's the story behind why you became a urologist who specializes in men's sexual health? Nobody ever goes into medical school saying, I want to become a urologist. In fact, for anyone who would say that, it's usually people who have had their own personal experience with a urologist or their parent is a urologist. So even urology for any medical student would be a rare field off the bat. 
I knew as a young girl that I love talking about sex. And so I think if I were, you know, as a 10 year old young woman to know that my current career would be specialized in sexual health, I would have thought like, of course, I mean, that that sounds very natural. But then you kind of go this wiggly way between there and now, am I going to be a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor, whatever. But you know, when it comes to urology, a lot of people go into the field because they want to talk about sensitive subjects. But the reality is most urologists don't really want to have the sexual health discussion. But going back to my 10 year old self, I like talking about it. In my current role, I get paid to do it. I can sit down with people for the most part, the people who come in to see me, they chose to be there. Nobody forced them to place a referral to see a men's health specialist. And I love what I do because I can help a lot of people. And Justin, we'll talk about some of the ways that, uh, some of the tools that I have in my toolbox to help folks. But, you know, people want to talk about it. I can help people. I get to talk about sex. I like talking about sex. I don't know why more people don't want my job. And that's why I do what I do, Justin. Well, that's kind of why I do what I do as well. I love to talk about sex. So thank you for sharing your story. So, Amy, let's talk about penises. As I've said before many times on this show, the penis doesn't always do what you want it to do, and that's normal. So for example, you might get an erection when you don't want one, perhaps because it's an inconvenient time. But it's also the case that sometimes you'll want to have an erection, but you can't seem to get one. And an important question is when erectile issues truly represent a sexual problem in need of treatment. So what's the clinical definition for what constitutes erectile dysfunction? Gosh, there are so many ranges of erectile dysfunction, and we use, we have a lot of different questionnaires that try to tease it out. We have the International Index of Erectile Function Questionnaire. We have shortened questionnaires. We have the hardness questionnaire. And, you know, like the IIEF, which is commonly used, was actually created by Pfizer, the company that came out with Viagra. So, of course, they wanted everyone to screen people for erectile dysfunction so that we would hand out a lot of Viagra prescriptions. <laughs> so it's always really important when we use these different questionnaires or screening tools in clinic, online, that we understand, you know, who develops them and what they're really trying to capture. I do a lot of research. I see a lot of patients and I only use those questionnaires if I'm doing a research study so I can include a validated questionnaire. If a dude comes in my office and says, I am not satisfied with my sexual function, that is reason enough for me to figure out with that person how we can make it better and I don't need a questionnaire to tell me whether or not I'm doing a good job. They can be helpful to track management. But again, if a person comes in and says, I tried Viagra, I tried Cialis, I tried injections and I'm not satisfied, hey, let's talk about other options. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And something I've talked about before is that when we're talking about a sexual dysfunction or sexual problem, it's inherently subjective. And that's part of the problem with having these questionnaires, which is that sometimes you'll overclassify people as having problems when they don't feel like there is a problem. So it's really all in the mind of the individual in terms of how is this affecting you and are you distressed about it? And if so, let's figure out a solution. 
So we know that erectile dysfunction is something that has many potential causes. They can be biological in nature, such as having cardiovascular disease. They can stem from psychological factors like performance anxiety. And they can also stem from situational or relationship factors like relationship stress and conflict. So erectile dysfunction is this very complex phenomenon. But in your practice as a urologist, what are the most common causes of erectile difficulties that you see? And is there a typical profile of the patients who come to see you? Or are they a pretty diverse group of people in terms of age and background? The guys that come to see me are very diverse. I see young men in their late teens to in their 80s or 90s. And sometimes the guys in their 80s and 90s ask me, well, you know, is it too late? Should we even be talking about this stuff? And, and my response to those guys is, if not now, when? Now, the questions of that 19-year-old are actually the same questions of that 89-year-old. The two guys use different words, and they ask the questions slightly differently. But at the end of the day, the question is the same. Why am I not functioning the way that I want to? How can we make it better? What can I do to make it better? What can you do to make it better? And what are the different treatment options? So the questions are all the same. For the younger guys, it's going to be more of, you know, what are they drinking alcohol? Are they nervous? Is there anxiety? Are they taking other medications? Medications that are common culprits of erectile dysfunction or sexual dysfunction are going to be medications for anxiety and depression. And a lot of young folks are on those medications. In the older population, the number one and number two cause of erectile dysfunction is heart disease and diabetes. And folks, those are not going down. Those rates are going up. So it is becoming more and more common for guys to come in with ED because the reasons are getting more and more common. But in younger men and in older men, we always try to tease out, is it a mental health problem or is it a physical problem? And the reality is it's all of the above. If anyone were to come into the office to either see someone like you or me and say that it doesn't affect their mental health if they're not functioning the way that they do, I would say that's an abnormal response. So when we feel sad and happy and frustrated and excited, and if we're stressed about something else, even completely unrelated to a sexual encounter, those are actual chemical signals. Those are physical changes happening in our body that are sending physical signals to our genital parts that will either say, hey, bro, this is going to happen tonight, or there's no way this is going to happen tonight. Those signals open and close the blood vessels. So I talk about those. I acknowledge that it's all of the above in so many of these guys. And it can also be, you know, this big sort of like mental health or anxiety components in men of any age. What do you think, Justin? What, what are the types of conversations you have? Are you trying to tease out, is this a mental health component or a physical component? Well, so I'm not actually a provider. I'm a researcher. So I don't get into the business of figuring out for specific individuals what the cause is. But I totally agree with your perspective that it is all of the above. You know, when we're talking about sexual health, mental health, physical health, all of these things are connected. So one impacts the other and it's impacted by all of the other things that we're talking about here. But when you're talking about something like erectile difficulties, yes, it's complex. You have the mental component, you got the physical component, but sometimes one factor is playing a much bigger role than the other, and that's going to direct the course of your treatment. So how do you go about pinpointing, for example, is this 
exclusively like a physical cause that started this that is in need of treatment versus something where, hey, the body is functioning normally and this individual is perfectly healthy physically, but maybe there's a mental block or something else. How do you kind of separate that out to figure out what is the right treatment approach? The treatment approach is going to be similar for a lot of people, but I sit down with my patients and I ask them questions to actually understand what is going on and less so to check the boxes. Now, Justin, that's really hard to do when I run a busy cervical clinic. It's really hard for a lot of healthcare providers to do to really understand the whys of why this person is not functioning but like they like to. But we get to the details, like when did this start? Was there anything going on in your life three months ago around the time that this started? Uh, do you have a partner? Are you currently single? What impact you know, does that have on you even wanting to date? What medications are you taking now? And hey, was there anything three and a half months ago when this started that you started taking? We talk about nutrition. We talk about exercise. We talk about stress in and out of the bedroom. If you're a graduate student and you're working on your thesis, like of course that is gonna enter in to the bedroom and affect function. We talk about medical problems. And if I sit down with someone and I say, you know, what medical problems do you have? Oftentimes they're treated for high blood pressure. They may not verbalize high blood pressure. And so, you know, being treated for high blood pressure still means that that person has it. So it's understanding, okay, you have this problem. Are you treating it? And looking at those medications and understanding do those medications have known sexual side effects? We talk about surgeries. We talk about any type of drug use and nicotine, including electronic cigarettes. So we go through the basics of their mental health, their physical health, their medications. What do you do on a daily basis? Because all these different things that happen in a day can impact the erections. The penis is a barometer of health. And I look at that as a door that just opened. It is a door, it is a way of me understanding by that guy coming in 20 years old with erectile problems, what else might be going on in that person's life. And so many times during the day, I'm kind of like this detective, which is one of the most fun parts about my job. You're a urological detective. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, I do love that phrasing, you know, the penis is a barometer of your health because it can tell you a lot of things. And as we talked about, you know, sexual health being connected to physical health and mental health, you know, if you're having erection problems, that can be an indicator of other issues that you might be having. And sometimes it's actually an early warning sign of cardiovascular problems. So paying attention to the penis is pretty important. You know, we focus a lot on the penis and, and I think that's good and it's bad. When I do focus on the penis and I talk about it as being this barometer of health, I oftentimes will sit down with my patients and say, look, we're taking sex out of it. We're taking self-stimulation out of it for a second. We're talking about your genital health. And when you bring it up like that, it's impossible to offend anyone. And you just talk about health of any other part of the body. And that's a great way to bring it up in terms of overall health as well and, and that barometer. I've had a couple of urologists on the show before. No one has said it quite like that. But I think that is a good way of kind of taking some of the anxiety out of the equation because there's a lot that's tied up in sex and sexual behavior. And if you can make it more about the body, genital function, and so forth, that can maybe open the door to having more productive conversations with people who might have more sexual hangups or insecurities. So erectile dysfunction, as we mentioned, can potentially affect anyone with a penis, regardless of their age. The factors that might affect it might be a little different depending on age. But I think when we look at the data, we do see that erectile difficulties do become more common as men get older. 
And that raises the question of whether there's anything you can do to try and prevent erectile dysfunction in the first place. So can you speak a bit about the prevention piece and also whether modern technology in the form of, say, a wearable erection tracking device can help you to kind of keep a beat on your sexual health? Yeah, I love the way that you put that. So first of all, men have incredible control over their health, including their genital health. And too often in our current healthcare system, we skip over that mere fact that we have control over our bodies. It all starts with nutrition and exercise. Whatever is good for our hearts is good for the penis. In order to understand the impact of these preventive measures like nutrition exercise, we have to first understand how does that darn penis work anyway? <laughs> so the penis is a sponge. It is literally a sponge, okay? You need good blood flow to go into that spongy tissue. You need those veins that drain the blood to clamp off so that the blood stays in the penis. But for that surge of blood to come in, you need the blood vessels to dilate. So let's talk about what makes those blood vessels dilate. Nitric oxide. Nitric oxide is a vasodilator. So when we think about the importance of nitric oxide, then we have to think about, okay, well, what promotes nitric oxide and what kills off nitric oxide? And fruits and vegetables and lean protein, all of those things are good for that nitric oxide pathway. And guess what's bad for it? All the crap that we eat on a daily basis, all of the you know inflammation and meat and dairy and processed foods, those are all bad for the pathway. So I bring up the nutrition aspect because those are decisions that every single man makes on a daily basis. My hope is that when a guy goes to order, you know, something for breakfast or for lunch or they're in the cafeteria, that they think about that and they understand for themselves, okay, well, I want my penis to work. So instead of choosing this, let me choose this because it just goes back to inflammation and what's good for my genital tissue. So nutrition is going to be, you know, really key here. The other thing is exercise. There's evidence to say that moving our body, systemic exercise, increases, improves erectile function. It makes sense. It's all about blood vessels. Now, when it comes to ways to understand how erections can change with different behaviors, I mean, right now, there's not much out there. That's why I'm really excited for this firm tech tech ring. It will tell people, us as researchers, as clinicians, and more importantly, people in the comfort of their own homes, what is going to work for them if I eat something, you know, one day and not the other day, if I exercise or take this medication, how does it directly impact my erectile function? People like information. There's information all over the place. People want more of it. And rings like the tech ring will put control in the hands of the man to understand his body. And Justin, that's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. And, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about modern technology is that it can give us these extra sources of information that just weren't previously accessible to us. And we can track things over a period of time and maybe tie that to things that are changing in our life with medication, food, and all these other sorts of things. So there can be a lot of value in harnessing technology to improve and enhance our sex lives. So much value. Because like right now as a clinician, I'm sitting down with someone at one moment in that person's life. And if it's an initial visit, I'm trying to figure out, dude, what has been going on in your life over the last 10 years? So he has to remember all of these things. And in a period of 15 or 30 minutes, 
not only do I have to learn everything as much as I can about that person and do an exam, I got to come up with a treatment plan. So there is limited time. And that's where this information that can be gathered, maybe while that person is waiting for their appointment, can provide really critical information. Yeah. And the other thing, too, about the tech ring, where it can measure your erections at night. You know, we know that nighttime erections are one important barometer of your erectile health. And if you're not getting them at night anymore, that's a sign that there's something physical going on that really needs to be treated. If you're still getting them at night and, you know, waking up with morning wood, then that might be a sign that maybe there's more of a psychological component to all of this. So better understanding, tracking those nighttime erections can also be important in and of itself. Now, for persons who have erectile dysfunction, let's talk about treatment. So treatments fall into a few different classes. Of course, there's the psychological types of treatments. You know, if there's anxiety or some other issue that's contributing to the erectile difficulties, so that might fall in the realm of cognitive behavioral therapy, for example. But if there's more of a biological cause, then there's a lot of other things you can do. So for example, there are the constriction devices like the rings and the pumps that can help keep blood inside the penis. Then there are the medications that can make it easier to get an erection. And then there are the actual penile implants in cases where nothing else works. So let's talk about each of these in turn. So let's start with the constriction devices. These can be a good first step because they're just a one-time investment. You don't have to worry about potential medication side effects either. But these devices aren't all created equal, right? Sometimes they're really uncomfortable. And sometimes the constriction band is too tight or too rigid. And that can actually damage the erectile tissue if it's worn for too long. So what do you want people to know about cock rings and erectile constriction bands in terms of safe use and how they can improve their erectile functioning? Yes, Justin, let's talk about cock rings here for a second. So I wish I had a very large uh, megaphone that I could say to every living being, you don't have to be broken or dysfunctional or have something wrong with you to warrant any of these therapies that we're going to talk about. And I think heterosexual men, I don't, I think we forgot to send that memo out that if you just want to be better, perform better, last longer, you can benefit from any one of these therapies. And that's where a penile constriction band or a cock ring can be incredibly helpful. But as you mentioned, there are different products and some are better than others. I always encourage guys to try a variety of different ones. There can be ones that are adjustable that can, so you don't have to get like one size and then get multiple different sizes. The adjustable ones can make it so that you tighten it to how, you know, whatever is comfortable for you. There are also other different types of cock rings that vibrate. So if a guy is worried, okay, how do I bring a cock ring into the bedroom without, you know, being so obvious to my partner that I have a dysfunction? Well, you can make it about your partner and their pleasure. You could say, hey, babe, I had a dream last night that you put this cock ring on me and you look so sexy doing it. Or, hey, babe, I got this cock ring. It vibrates. I think it's going to feel really good for you. So it's making it less about the dysfunction and more about the partner's pleasure. Now, with this tech ring, you know, why I started talking about this ring, particularly with the patients in my office is it's easy to put on. Some of the rings that are available are difficult to put on the penis, and that can be a barrier for some folks. The other thing is that you know one of the bands actually goes around the testicles, and a lot of guys actually like some engorgement of the testicles. 
The last major advantage of this ring is that there's no real time limit that you have to watch the clock to see, oh, has it been 20 or 30 minutes? In fact, a guy could wear it all night and not cause issues. And that can get it so that that guy, let's say, wakes up in the middle of the night, already has the cock ring on, he's already ready, can allow for some spontaneity, let's say, in the middle of the night. And the fourth reason, which is perhaps the most important, actually, is that it does provide that real-time data in terms of that tech ring and having that sensor. Yes. So there are a lot of different options out there on the market, but it's important to do your research. And, you know, you definitely want to be very careful with, for example, the metal rings, and especially if you're using one that is very tight, because sometimes people put them on and they can't get them off. And fun, but also scary fact, the San Francisco Fire Department actually has this mini circular saw that they use for cutting off cock rings that can't otherwise be removed, right? So there can be cock ring emergencies. And if you wear it for too long, there's too much constriction that can lead to death of the erectile tissue and cause permanent erectile difficulties. So you want to be careful with those really tight, really rigid types of bands because they can sometimes cause problems that weren't there in the first place. Yes, and I'm going to add in there that my recommendation, because I've seen those cock ring emergencies in the emergency room where you're getting out the saw, you're taking someone to the emergency room, like none of us like to take a saw anywhere near the penis, and, and certainly our male patients don't like that either, is get a ring that you could cut off if it gets stuck on there, and, and so that's not going to include the metal rings. Those can be dangerous, and especially if you're drinking or doing other stuff, it can be very dangerous to have a cock ring on because if you pass out and you wake up the next day, that's where we tend to run into issues. So let's talk about erectile dysfunction medications for a moment. There are several options on the market, and for many people, they can be a very effective treatment approach, but they differ in terms of their cost, how long the effects last, whether they need to be taken daily or as needed, their potential side effects, and so forth. So as a physician, for people who might be contemplating trying one of these ED drugs, what are the key things that they should take into consideration? Absolutely. These medications that came out over 20 years ago have revolutionized our ability to treat a lot of men with erectile dysfunction. They are one of the greatest innovations in urology and in health, period, bar none. So Viagra is a, there are four FDA approved medications these days to treat ED, Viagra, Cialis, Levitra, and Stendra. Levitra and Stendra tend to be more expensive. So I typically go between Viagra and Cialis. They're both available generic, so you can actually get them for very cheap using various medication assistance programs, which makes my job a lot more enjoyable. If I prescribe a therapy for someone and it's a very expensive therapy, that is, no one's happy. No one wins in that scenario because I'm bankrupting my patient or they go to the pharmacy, they don't realize how expensive it is, they realize how expensive it is, and then they call my office and they're like, what the heck, Perlman, didn't you know it was so expensive? So these days, you can get these medications for very cheap. Viagra short-acting, Cialis is long-acting. Some people call Cialis the weekend pill. You can take it on a Friday night. Hey, it might still be in your body working on a Saturday night. Viagra, it's really important that you take this on an empty stomach or at least an hour after eating, it can affect its efficacy. With Cialis, it doesn't matter. Now, Cialis takes a little bit longer to take effect compared to Viagra. Cialis, you wanna give it at least two hours. With Viagra, we're talking more along the lines of about 45 minutes to an hour. Now, we say with all of these therapies, before sexual activity or on-demand before sexual activity, 
what I've started emphasizing with my male patients is you don't need to prove that you're going to put your penis in a vagina or something or, or even masturbate. If you just want to get an erection, that is reason enough to try these therapies. In fact, in someone who's in a partnered relationship, I always recommend that that person try any one of these therapies outside of being with their partner. Take that stress out of it and see how long does it take for the medication to work in you and how does food impact you and how does stimulation impact and how long does it last in you before you bring someone else into it. So I always encourage that solo practice. What dose will work? Do you have side effects? So that's always good to know before adding in the additional pressure. I appreciate you sharing all of that. I think that's a great set of things to take into consideration if you're contemplating these medications. Now, let me ask you about the other main treatment for erectile dysfunction, which is penis pumps. And my understanding is that there are two main types of pumps. One of them consists of these inflatable cylinders that are inserted into the penis, and they're attached to this fluid-filled reservoir that sits near the bladder. And then there's this pumping device and the scrotum so that you can pump water in and out as desired into those tubes. And then the other type of penile implant is this semi-rigid set of rods that are inserted into the penis that kind of give you a semi-hard penis all the time, and you just kind of bend it up or down as desired. So how well do these penis implants work, and for whom might they be an option worth considering? Penile implants are another great invention, shocker. Now, when I bring these up with a lot of my patients, you know, a fair number think that this is like the newest and the greatest innovation or, you know, invention that just came about. But Justin, these implants have been around for over 50 years, five zero. So the fact that so many men come into my office and say, Dr. Perlman, I've tried Viagra and Cialis, they're not doing the trick. Do I have any hope? And then I bring in all my goodies and I say, Bill, we barely even hit the iceberg is proof that no one's talking about it. If men knew that there were all these options to treat erectile dysfunction, if they knew that I could replace the hydraulics in their penis and put a penile implant in, it would take probably years for most men to even get in to see a urologist. Penile implants are very underutilized. Now, in most guys that see anybody for erectile dysfunction, most of the time we're gonna start with the pills because the pills work in a lot of people. But after that, or if someone has side effects of the medications, Really, anything that we're talking about today is fair game, including the penile implant. Like you mentioned, the penile implant is placed completely inside the body. It is completely concealable. Nothing is outside the body. In fact, when I examine someone in the office, if I didn't know that they put a penile, that I put an implant in or that they had an implant in, and if I wasn't feeling around the scrotum for the pump, I would have no idea that that guy had an implant in, and I do this for a living. So they are very natural in their flaccid and in their erect states. So if a guy's in the locker room, again, no one in that locker room would know. Everything is inside the body. And we can usually put in all the components, the cylinders, the pump, the reservoir, through a single incision. So it's in terms of all the surgeries that we do, yes, surgery is a big deal for everyone who undergoes a, an operation. But in terms of all the surgeries that we do, it's pretty minimally invasive. So it sounds like there are lots of different treatment options out there available for erectile dysfunction. And it's ultimately a matter of consulting with your healthcare provider and figuring out 
what is the right one for you. But the good news is that there's generally going to be a solution because there are so many different options. There absolutely is a solution for everyone. And part of this discussion, Justin, is is even getting a little bit outside the erection. I, I saw a patient recently who has really bad heart disease. He's on oxygen. He came in with his partner. And I asked him, what would make this like visit successful for you? How can I help you? And he said, I just want to have sex with my wife one more time. And this guy is young. He's like in his 50s, but he can barely get enough oxygen in. So I opened up that discussion more and I asked him, so what feels good for you? And I looked at his wife and I said, and what feels good for you? Because maybe the reason why he wants to have sex with his wife is to try to get back to some place when he was a healthier man before he had a heart attack four years before. But maybe what he wants is something to take the edge off, the stress he encounters in his daily life. And maybe that's not having a perfect direction. Maybe it's having an orgasm, which can be done with a vibrator. So we talk a lot about erectile dysfunction, but oftentimes we really need to take a step back to say, what are your goals? What would it mean to be successful? And maybe that's even uh, not actually a fully rigid erection. Absolutely. I think that's so well put. So thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Amy. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work? Absolutely. So you can find me on YouTube if you search my name, Amy Perlman. I also have a website, perlmanmds.com. It's been so awesome being with you today. <laughs> well, it's been awesome to be with you as well. And it's Perlman MDs because you have a twin sister who is also a physician, right? I do. Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> and just out of curiosity, is she also a urologist? No, she's a gastroenterologist. So actually a lot of what I've learned when it comes to nutrition and weight loss and looking in the mirror and liking what you see and not saying that that's a vain thing, but a normal thing is actually things that I learned from my sister. Well, thank you so much for your time, Amy. I really appreciate having you here. Also, thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Miller and Instagram at Justin J. Miller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.